Good morning. It is good to see you today. If you have a Bible, go ahead and meet me in John chapter 1. John chapter 1 is where we'll spend our time together this morning. Uh, Man, it is a good Sunday, even though it might be a little wet and a little windy outside. Uh, The Lord is here uh, and he is speaking and we get to meet with him this morning. Um, And that is uh, what a privilege. John chapter 1, verse 4. Uh, maybe, maybe as you turn there, maybe you have, you've been in a situation before or maybe even now where you feel like nobody notices you. Maybe you, you feel like you are just existing, uh, but you're not really living. You, you feel like no one would notice uh, if you weren't here anymore. Maybe you feel like people don't know that you were here. Maybe people don't pay attention to you. I want to introduce you to the story of Madeline Michelle Carthen. She's a Missouri native, and right now uh, she is in a fight for her life, not because of an illness or anything like that, uh, but because she was mistakenly added uh, to what is known as the DMF 20 years ago. The DMF is the Death Master File, uh, which is a, a database that the United States government shares across different branches. Uh, that keeps track of anyone who has passed away. Now, there are 3 million people a year added to the DMF. They say that less than 1% of those are added by mistake, but still there are those added by mistake. Now, if your name and your social security number is added to the DMF, well, then all of that information goes to the IRS, goes to other financial institutions, and goes to the Medicare office to cancel your existence. So if you end up on that database, it is as if you are no longer alive. Now, there's a process to be removed from that database where uh, you go to the Social Security Administration, uh, you show them a valid form of ID, and they give you what is called an erroneous death letter. Now, the problem with Madeline Michelle is that she has had six of these letters issued, and the problem has yet to be solved. She has written to four different sitting presidents. She's gone to elected officials. She's gone to different bureaucrats. And she can't seem to find herself removed from the DMF. They finally told her that, well, if you want to have your name removed, if you want this to be fixed, you can change your name. And when you change your name, you'll be given a new social security number. So Madeline did. She changed her name. The problem was is that after the name change, her name was misspelled on certain government documents and her social security number was put into the E-Verify system incorrectly. And so she continues to have these problems. And so even her son, her son can't get financial aid and can't do different things in college because it's as if his mom doesn't exist. Now, though Madeline is on the DMF, the, the death master file, and even though the IRS and banks and other institutions uh, don't believe that she actually exists, surprisingly today, Madeline Michelle receives a disability check every month uh, because of different health issues she has. And so there's one group that doesn't think that she's alive. There's another group that believes that she's alive. And, and so they're trying to help. And, and so maybe our situation, our circumstances isn't quite like that. But, but maybe there are times, maybe even right now, you just don't feel like you are alive. 
Maybe you, you feel like no one else recognizes you. No one else sees you. Maybe you feel like you are just existing. Well, the good news of Christmas and the good news of John chapter one, specifically in verse four that we're gonna see this morning is this, is that Jesus Christ gives us a life that is fully alive. Jesus gives us life that is fully alive. So look with me here at John chapter one. If you don't have a Bible, we'll have the verses on the screen. We're gonna look at John chapter one and we're gonna read down from verse one to verse five. We're gonna focus on verse four. So let me invite you to stand as we honor the reading of God's perfect and precious word. Starting in verse one, the spirit says to us this. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. This is God's word. You can be seated. Would you pray with me? Father, we are grateful for the life that is in Jesus. Father, we we are grateful that this life is the light of men. It is our light. And so, Father, we, we pray this morning that you would speak to us. Father, we, we pray this morning that you would teach us and that you would conform us and that you would shape us into the image of Jesus Christ. Father, we are grateful this morning for rain and for wind because the rain and the wind remind us that we are not in control, but you are. And so, Father, this morning, I pray that we would rest in your providence. We would trust your sovereignty. And we would enjoy the life that is fully alive that only Jesus can give. Father, we we pray this and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Jesus gives us a life that is fully alive. And we're going to see a few truths about this life. The first is this, is that life begins with Jesus. Life that is fully alive, life that is really alive, life that is truly alive begins with Jesus. Now, these first five verses of the Gospel of John, I think it would be fair to say that this is, they can be characterized in this way, that it's brevity that packs a punch. That even though there's not a lot of words used, there is still a lot that is said. There's a lot that is taught. There's a lot that is shared. And that is no less true here in verse 4. There's so much truth packed into really just a few verses. Now in verse 4, we have this simple and direct statement. Look, Look with me there. It says, in him was life. Who is him? Well, the him is the word. It is Jesus Christ. In Jesus was life. Now, we talk about life here when, when John 1, 4 says in him was life. This life that he's talking about here, it's not just a biological life. This is not just John stating the fact that Jesus created life and that Jesus gives biological life. In fact, the word that's used for life here is a completely different word. It's a, a word that signals a spiritual or a transcendent life. So when John says that in him, in Jesus was life, he's not simply saying that in Jesus, everything was created. He's already said that. Instead, what he's saying is that if you want real life, if you want true life, if you want life that is fully alive, if you want life that is more than just existing and life that is thriving, if you want to be fully alive, well then look at Jesus. You take it with verse three and it's this idea that creation and life, it it comes from God's activity in and through Jesus. Now, there are several key themes that run throughout the Gospel of John, and one of those themes is this theme, is this idea of life. 
You could look at John chapter 5, verse 26, and you, you see this, for as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. Jesus is saying here that this life in him, it gives him power over death. But then you go to John chapter 11, verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. What Jesus says here is he doesn't just grant life. He is life. He is the picture of life. He is the life that we need. And the reason he can grant life, this not just biological, but spiritual life, is because that is who he is. That is what he does. So to understand what life really is, well, then we've got to understand who it is that gives it. This means that we have to know Jesus. To know what it means to be fully alive, we must look at, we must look to, we must look for Jesus. It's failing to understand this is the reason that we sin. It's the reason that we give into temptation, that we believe that, that sin will give us what we think we're lacking. Nobody sins because they don't want to. We sin because we want to sin. We sin because we believe that that sin is going to provide something for us. It's going to do something to us. It's going to give us something that we think we need. Ultimately, we sin because we think that God hasn't given us what we need. We sin because we think that God hasn't put us where we think we should be. We, we sin because we question God's kindness. We question who he is. See, here's the problem, is that sin never delivers on its promises. Sin promises to make you feel alive, but it leads you to death. Sin never makes you more alive. It always makes you less alive. It, it promises you pleasure. It, it promises you protection. It promises you all of these things. But it leaves you with condemnation and with guilt and with shame. See, if we want to be alive, if we want to experience life, we've got to look to Jesus because he shows us what it means to be alive. He is the one who, who gives us life. He's the one that gives us life that is fully alive. That we're constantly looking for, for life. We're constantly looking for ways to be made alive. Or, or what does it look like to be alive? Well, it looks like the life of Jesus. I've always been interested in forensic artists or what we might call police sketch artists. I've never seen one, I've never had to talk to one, but I've watched enough Law and Order that I know these guys are bad dudes, right? I, I've seen what they can do. And so this week, I, I read a little bit, uh, I went down the rabbit hole on forensic artists, not police sketch artists, but forensic artists. I found that they, they can draw a face from broken information. So they can, they can draw a subject from an interview. Right? They, they interview you. Uh, you tell them what the subject looked like and they can, they can recreate a face. They can take bone fragments and they can, they can start to, to mold and to sketch what, what might this person have looked like. They can take all of this incomplete information, they synthesize it, and they recreate what that subject might have looked like. Now what we know, what they know, is that sometimes they are scary accurate. Sometimes they're terrible. Right? So, sometimes it doesn't look like that person at all. 
You and I don't need a forensic artist to tell us to recreate what it looks like to be fully alive. If you want to know what it looks like to be fully alive, look to Jesus. If you want to know what it means to live life the way life was meant to be lived, well, look to Jesus. And when you look at the life of Jesus, what you see is that a life that is fully alive is not a life that is free from suffering, is it? It's not a life that is free from pain. It's, it's not a life that is free from problems. But to be fully alive is a life that is lived in communion and in fellowship with God. Right? That's what it means to live life that is fully alive. And maybe say, but Ethan, Jesus was God. That's right, right? You, you passed the test. Jesus was God. But did you know that every resource that Jesus had, that Jesus said we need to live life as it was meant to be lived, we have? How did Jesus live life in his humanity? He lived it in fellowship with God's people, dependent on God's word, and walking in the power of God's spirit. All of those things are available to you and I today. We can and we should walk in fellowship with God's people. Right? That Christ died for the church. He died for his people. So we, we can and we should walk in fellowship with his people. We can and we should and we have the availability to walk in dependence on his word. We can and we should. We have the, if you've been saved by Jesus, then you have his Holy Spirit alive and active in you. One of the most mind-blowing truths of the Christian faith for me is that the spirit of God that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is alive in you. He's alive in you and he's working to, to raise you from the grave. Right? He's working to defeat sin in you. He's working so that you would know what it means to live fully alive. See, if you want to live fully alive, if you want to live life that is alive, well, we've got to know that it begins with Jesus. But next we see this, that life is found in Jesus. Life is found in Jesus. He gives us this life that is fully alive. He gives us what so many things are offered. So many people in so many places are looking to offer us life that is alive, but what they really offer us is death. I saw a billboard this week, and it was a Christmas billboard, and it said, Mary, it's in Merry Christmas, but it said, Mary, whatever you were looking for. Just acknowledges the fact that we're looking for something to satisfy us, and that all of these things offer satisfaction. Now, this billboard was implying that if you want to have a merry life, well, then you just go to this store and they will provide it for you. Jesus is the only one who can give us that. How, how do we get this life that is fully alive in Jesus? Well, we come to Jesus. Look at the end of verse four. He says, the life was the light of men. In other words, we get life by coming to Jesus, that this light is what we need. It's what we're searching for, whether we, we realize it or not. Every person in this room, every person on this planet, every person who has ever lived is hunting, is looking for something more. And, and this has been recognized throughout the ages. St. Augustine, one of the early church fathers, he said it this way. He said, our hearts have been made for you, O God, and they shall never rest until they rest in you. Another group of well-known theologians, the Rolling Stones, they said they tried and they tried and they tried, but they couldn't get no satisfaction. 
Man, I hope you all know the Gospel of John as good as you know that song. (laughs) But we've been putting it, we put it out there, right? I've been looking for satisfaction, I can't get it. My, My heart is restless. Some of you today are restless. And maybe you don't know why. Maybe you're restless because you're trying to rest in anything and everything other than Jesus. Every one of us in here knows that feeling. Now, maybe you don't know that you know that feeling, but every one of us in here knows that feeling. But here's the truth is that this light, this satisfaction, this rest that we're searching for, it doesn't come naturally to us. It's not inside of us. This is why it's so dangerous for someone to say, just follow your heart. So you follow your heart, you won't find life. Your heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can know it is what the book of Jeremiah says. This, this light, it's not something that is found inside of us, but it's something that, outs, that is outside of us. Martin Luther said it's something that is alien to us. See, if we could quiet our restlessness on our own, don't you think we would have? If, if the world had the resources to quiet the restlessness of our hearts, don't you think the world would look a whole lot more joyful than what it does today? The problem is, is that we try to to quiet this restlessness. We try to find satisfaction in the wrong ways and in the wrong places. But, But understand this. This desire for rest, this desire for satisfaction, that that quest, that that. That journey looking for that, that is not a wrong or a bad thing. The problem is, is we look in the wrong places. You ever heard someone say, well, they do this because it just makes them feel alive. It's typically like I jumped out of an airplane because I just wanted to feel alive. That sounds like a good way to feel dead, right? Like uh, I bungee jumped because I wanted to feel alive, right? They're, they're self-professed adrenaline junkies, right? I feel alive when I feel the ground. That's when I feel alive, right? This is almost too high for me. But people look, man, I, I wanna feel alive. And maybe that's not you. Maybe you're not one who jumps out of airplanes and bungee jumps or, or does whatever that adrenaline-seeking thing is. But that doesn't mean that you're innocent when it comes to looking for something to make you feel alive. Could, could it be that what you call, well, I'm just driven, I'm driven to succeed? Could driven to succeed really mean that I live for the applause and adulation of someone else? I live because I wanna be accepted. I want people to see how hard I work and I, I want them to give me a pat on the back. Could it be, well, I'm just a family man? I love my family above everything. Well, could it be that you're looking for your wife and your kids to be for you what only Jesus can be? Maybe right now you have an addiction that you don't want anyone to know about, but you would say, well, I have it under control. Could it be that it's not that you have the addiction under control, but it's the addiction has control of you? And that the reason you were so given to that addiction is because it makes you feel good rather than numb. Or it makes you feel numb rather than bad. See, none of us are immune from looking for life in the wrong places. Here's the difference. Some of us are just good at making it look more respectable. Some of us are just good at camouflaging it 
and covering it up and making it seem like what we're doing is responsible when really what we're doing is sinful. When really what we're doing is we are looking for something else to satisfy us and give us rest rather than the Lord Jesus Christ. See, we are all guilty and we are all in need of God's grace. The good news is, is God's grace is available to all of us. God's grace is available to you. It's available to me right now. Jesus offers us what we're looking for. He promises us hope that is alive. Maybe you're feeling hopeless right now. But Jesus is offering you hope. Or because Jesus is alive, there is always hope. Because Jesus rose from the grave, there is always hope. See, in him is life, and that life was the light of men. See, life begins with Jesus. Life is found in Jesus. And then finally we see this, that life is lived with Jesus. Life is lived with Jesus. The arrival of Jesus and accepting his gift, it's not a one-time event with a one-time application. No, it's a history-changing event that we continually apply to our lives. It's something that you and I, that we we must experience and we must return to every day. Jesus didn't save you and then leave you to figure it out. No, he not only modeled and instructed it, but by his spirit, his word, his gospel, and his people, he continues to invite us to live our lives with him. Understand that invitation. You and I are invited to live our lives with Jesus. What better invitation could we want? that we have been invited to be known by and to know Jesus. Verse four, we see that in Jesus was life and this life was the light of men. The the implication there, this life was the light of men. The implication is, is that before Christ, you and I were walking in darkness. Apart from Christ, you and I do walk in darkness. If you were to look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 16, he, he quotes the prophet Isaiah and he says this. He says, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, a light on them has dawned. Notice that. A light on them has dawned. The light of Christ dawns, but it never sets. Right? That, that, that light of Jesus continues to shine. Living a life fully alive means living life with Jesus. It means walking with him. It means following him. It means abiding in him. That he doesn't just get us life, but but understand this, Jesus is our life. He is what we're looking for. Jesus isn't the pathway to blessing. Jesus is the blessing. That's the point of Christmas. The, the point of Christmas is that in Jesus Christ, we find the significance we need. We find the fulfillment we chase. But sometimes we view Jesus as, well, Jesus is the doorway to the blessing, right? Jesus gets me to what I need. Or we say things like this, like I've got Jesus. Now I'm ready to go a little deeper. You can't go deeper than Jesus. Right? You, you can't go deeper than God. Sometimes people will say, well, even you just preach the gospel because you need the gospel, right? We need the gospel. We, we never go past the gospel. Sometimes we'll view, G, we'll view Jesus like car keys, 
right? Jesus is the key that opens the door and starts the ignition of Christianity, but then I get to go on the great adventure. But what we need to understand is that Jesus is not just the key. Jesus is the door. Jesus is the seat. Jesus is the gas. Jesus is the engine, and Jesus is the destination of Christianity. Jesus is where we are going. Why is heaven good? Because Jesus is there. Eternal life without Jesus is hell. Eternal life deeper than Jesus doesn't exist. The Christian life that moves past Jesus is the Christian life that has moved on from Jesus. And the Christian life that moves on from Jesus is in a dangerous place. Jesus is the goal. In him we find life. Not just the path to life, but the life. He's the door, he's the path, and he's the destination. See, he's the great gift of Christmas. He's the, the great gift is not just simply that you and I can have eternal life. The great gift is that you and I can have life with Jesus right now. That he invites us to know him. He invites us to walk with him. What does it look like to know Jesus and to walk with Jesus? Well, it means that we gather together to worship with one another. We encourage one another. Is that Hebrews 10? Don't neglect the assembling of yourselves together as is the habit of some. Keep meeting to spur one another on towards love and good works. We walk with Jesus by praying. By praying continually, by praying regularly. What Paul says, by praying without ceasing. That we keep seeking his face. That we fight against sin. We fight for righteousness. And here's why we can fight against sin. Because we don't fight for victory, but we fight from victory. That Jesus has already defeated the power that sin has in your life. And so now we fight against sin, not wondering if we can beat it, but knowing that Jesus already has. And because Jesus already has, we can overcome it. We can beat it by his power and his strength and his grace at work in us. But then we, we know and we, we walk with Jesus by being people committed to his word. By being people committed to the Bible. People committed to the book. John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Well, the word has communicated himself to us in his word. And Jesus didn't come in a video Jesus didn't come on a CD or an MP3 or a cassette tape or an 8-track. Jesus came in his word. Right? He communicates to us through his word. So if we want to know Jesus, if we want to know our God, if we want the blessing of that life, what it means to be fully alive, what it means we've got to be people who are committed to the Bible. When you came in this morning, hopefully you, you were handed one of these. It's a, a Bible reading plan for 2024. Now, because I've been around this thing for a while, I know what it looks like to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start a Bible reading plan January 1, and I'm going to read through the Bible this year. There's nothing that can stop me. And maybe by January 3rd, I'm getting tired, right? Or I make it through Genesis because I'm excited. Exodus is interesting, but we all know what comes after Exodus, right? Leviticus. And then we start reading and we think, man, I don't know what to do. Or maybe we, we, we make it really far and then we lose track or we go on vacation or whatever and then we, we get overwhelmed and we stop reading. 
I think that we should read the entire Bible. I think it's a great practice to read through the Bible in a year. That's my own personal goal is to read through the Bible every year. But I think that more, before we have a goal of reading through the Bible in a year, we should have a goal of meeting with Jesus. We, we should have a goal of knowing Jesus. And so this is a, a 15-week Bible reading plan that just walks you through no more than 10 to 12 verses a day. Three to five minutes, you sit down and you can read those verses. And what it does is it walks us through the life of Jesus. Now, this is made to start on January 1st, but if you start today, no one's going to be angry. <laughs> the, the Lord will, will be happy. But maybe, maybe you've never taken the time to read through the Bible. You know, we, we, we live in just kind of this embarrassment of riches when it comes to the scriptures, don't we? I mean, if you have a smartphone, you can have literally hundreds of translations at your fingertips for free. You can download version, or you can open up Bible Gateway or whatever it may be, but we can have all the translations in the world, but if we never read them, they don't do us any good. Right? If, if the only time you open the scriptures is on Sunday, praise the Lord. That's great but you're missing out on a blessing that the Lord would have for you throughout the week. And that blessing doesn't have to come in reading four chapters a day or 10 chapters a day or whatever. It could come in reading five verses, one verse, 10 verses, whatever it may be. And so that's, that's why we wanted to put this in your hand. This is, I'm gonna be adding this on January 1st. I'm gonna be adding this to, to my own quiet time. And one of the things that, that we've done in here, if you open it up, you'll, you'll look at it and you'll, you'll see there's some headings, but then you'll see next to several of the passages, a couple each week, you'll see some, uh, some verses in parentheses. So on week one, it's reading Mark 1, 1 to 8 in parentheses. Why are those in parentheses? Well, it's because if you're like me, then maybe you've tried to read the Bible with your kids Maybe you try to read the Bible with your wife and something always comes up, right? We try to do family worship with our family. Someone hits someone else. Someone says something else. I'm not even sure if I'm a Christian by the end of it. <laughs> but what this is, is this is smaller chunks that maybe at the dinner table or maybe on the way to school or maybe wherever you can just read them with, with your kids, or husbands, maybe, maybe this is a smaller chunk that you can read with your wife. Husbands, our wives shouldn't have to say, hey, do you want to read the Bible together? Husbands, you and I, we should be telling our wives, hey, let's pray together. Let's go to God's word together. Let's read the scriptures together. See, that's the way the Bible was intended to be read. The Bible was intended to be read together. Nowhere in the Old Testament or the New Testament, do we have anything written that was just for an individual? Now we have, we have letters written to individuals, but they were written to individuals for the church to see. So in the Old Testament, what we have is we have these books that are recounting prophecy or that are teaching or of telling of God's wonderful works or telling what God is like, and they are written for the community of faith for Israel. In the New Testament, 
We have books written explicitly to churches. Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, books like that. We have books written to a group of churches. So you take the book of Revelation, written to seven churches. We have books written to individuals, but they were for the, the church as a whole to read. So First and Second Timothy, or Titus, or Philemon. They, they, when God speaks to his people, he speaks to his people corporately, typically. He, he speaks to his people together. So what that means is that we read the Bible best when we read it together. So this doesn't just mean that we're all reading the same thing, although I think that's one, one way that it can be helpful. But what this also means is it may mean that for some of us, that, that maybe you need, to, you need to read it with your wife, you need to read it with your kids, but maybe for, for some of us, may, maybe husbands, maybe you need to grab two or three other husbands. And you need to say, hey, let's meet together once a week, or let's meet together once every couple weeks. Let's talk about what the Lord's teaching us. Let's talk about what the Lord is doing. Let's pray for one another. James says, confess your sin one to another. Confess our sin to another. We pray, and we encourage each other to be better dads and husbands. Moms, maybe, maybe it's finding a couple other moms. Or, or older women, what Titus says is the older women are to teach the younger women. Maybe it's, it's finding two or three other ladies that you can, you can invest time in and you can invest time with. And you can read the scriptures together. You can write down what you're learning. You can talk about what the Lord is doing. That's what it means to be a disciple. It's also one of the ways that we make disciples. Right? To be a disciple means that we are walking with Jesus. And we make disciples by helping others do the same. And a disciple that isn't a multiplying disciple is an enigma to the New Testament. The New Testament picture that we have of the Christian life is not one that is lived for ourselves. It's not one that's lived by ourselves, but it's one lived in community with believers, and it's one that is committed to investing in believers. Do you know that the Great Commission is for you? The Great Commission isn't just for missionaries. The Great Commission isn't just for pastors. It's not just for elders or deacons or really spiritual people. But the Great Commission that we would go into all the world, teaching all that Christ has commanded and baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is for you and for me. But so often we approach the Great Commission as, I'm going to fly over to this country and I'm going to share the gospel. Or I'm going to walk across the street and I'm going to share the gospel. The Great Commission, though, isn't just about making converts. It's about making disciples. The Great Commission is about teaching them to obey all that Christ has commanded. And so the New Testament picture of a Christian is a disciple maker. So how, how, how can you play your role in making disciples? Maybe... Maybe he would say, Ethan, I don't, I don't need to make disciples yet. I need to be discipled. I need to be discipled. I, I, I need someone to teach me how to read the Bible. I, I need someone to, to teach me how to pray. I need someone to, to teach me how to do that. I mean, we would love to help you with that. We would love to, to help you figure out how to do that.
to walk with you. We, we've got men and women in our church who would love to come alongside you. Love to help, help you find a disciple group. Maybe say, Ethan, I, I, I need to be making disciples. I need to be investing in people. But I don't know how. I'm not sure what the next step is. Well, part of it is just asking the question. Right? It's just walking across and saying, hey, that thing that he was talking about, reading the Bible together, would you be interested in doing that with me? Or maybe, maybe you'd say, hey, Ethan, those people who, who they need some help, they need to be discipled, I'd love to do that. I'd love to walk with them and encourage them. You know, Jesus gives us a life that is fully alive, but he doesn't, he doesn't give it to us so that we will just sit on it. He gives it to us so that we will share it. He, he gives it to us so that we would invest in and disciple others. You, you've heard me say this before, that the gospel came to you on its way to somebody else. And, and that we're discipled not, not just for the sake of puffing up with knowledge, but for the sake of sharing that and discipling others. And so my, my question for you this morning is, are you living a life that is fully alive? Are you living a life that is leveraged to bring glory to King Jesus in every area? Are you living a life that is walking in fellowship with King Jesus? Or maybe it's even before that, have you submitted your life to Jesus? Have you put your faith, have you come to him by faith? Have you come to that point in your life where you have said, Lord, I know that I have, am a sinner. I know that I can't save myself, but Jesus, I need you to save me. So Jesus, save me and forgive me. See, if you've, if you've never come to that place, that's really where all of this begins. That's what it means that life begins with Jesus. It begins by coming to him and confessing your sin and trusting that he can save you. Maybe you've never done that. Maybe you need to do that this morning. Maybe you, you say, hey, I, I am ready to take that next step. Maybe that next step is trusting in Christ. Maybe that next step is following the Lord in baptism. We've got three baptisms coming up over the next two weeks. Maybe say, hey, I need to be in that number. I need to be baptized. Maybe say, hey, I'm, I'm ready to be a disciple maker. I want to help people follow Jesus. If that's you, if you say, hey, I'm ready to be a disciple maker. I'm ready to help people follow Jesus. Know this, that, that I'm praying for you. But I also know this, that if you really mean that, then the Lord will open doors that you couldn't imagine. So the first step to being a disciple maker is to just pray, Lord, give me opportunities to make disciples. And then it's being intentional about doing it. It's being intentional about making disciples. Not just sitting back and waiting for those opportunities, but stepping into them and pressing into them. My prayers every, every day at 10.02, I get an alarm on my phone at 10.02 a.m. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to raise up workers. 
I pray every day at 1002 that the Lord would raise up an army of disciple makers and that he would start right here at Central. Maybe that's you. Would you pray with me? Father, we are grateful for your grace and your mercy today. Lord, we are grateful for life that is fully alive in Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that we would know this life. God, that we would experience this life that is fully alive. Father, I pray that as we experience it, that we would be serious and quick about sharing it. That we would share the truth of the gospel And that we would be committed to leveraging our lives to make disciples. Father, that, that our, our vision here at Central to multiply disciples, leaders, and churches, that that wouldn't just be a church vision, that would be a life vision, that would be a personal vision for us. That our church would be made up of people consumed with multiplying disciples, with, with being leaders, and with planting churches. And Father, I pray for, for that one who's here today. Maybe they're tired of looking for a life that is alive in all these other places, and maybe they're ready to come to you. Father, I pray they would come to you today. Lord, I pray that you would work in their hearts and you would save them. Maybe that's you. Maybe you'd say, hey, I, I need to trust in Christ. I need to, need to ask him to save me and forgive me. Well, know this, that it's not a prayer that saves you. It's, it's a heart response. That, that, that prayer that, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need a Savior. And then that Jesus is that Savior. And Jesus, I, I want you to save me. That that's not just like a magical incantation or a spell. But that's a cry of a heart. It says, God, I'm tired of trying to save myself. And I want, I want you to save me. If that's you this morning, if you say, hey, I need to trust in Christ to be saved. I'm not going to ask you to, to do anything strange. I'm not going to say I'm wrestling with this. Would you just lift your hand up? No one's looking. I just want to be able to pray for you right now. If that's you. Father, you, you don't just see hands, but you know names. So Father, I, I pray that you would work in that heart. You would work in those hearts, those lives, God, that you would, they would know your grace even now. If that's you, if you raise your hand, then at the end of this service, our Next Steps team will be down here. They'll be out in the lobby. They would love to talk with you. Love to pray with you and to help you follow Jesus. Now, maybe, maybe this morning you'd say, Ethan, you know what? I'm tired of sitting on the sideline. I want to get in the game. I want to be a disciple maker. If that's you, would you just raise your hand and say, hey, I'm ready to make this. I'm ready to leverage my life to be a disciple maker. Father, you, you know hearts, you know lives, you know minds in here this morning. Father, I pray that you wouldn't just give us a heart for discipleship, but you'd give us hands for disciple making. Father, that, that we would be committed relentlessly to seeing disciples made here, there, and everywhere. And Father, we, we pray that you would do it. And we pray that you would use us to make it happen. 
Father, we pray this, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.